Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition for the last 30 years. It's Rosie on the House. Come use this microphone. <laughs> Test one, two, vector. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let me turn the music down. Then we can maybe hear you. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've got everything. Good morning, everybody. I've got it. It wasn't plugged in back here. Somebody. Somebody was messing with my microphone. I thought, you know what? Manager's been in here. They disconnected me. It proves once again, folks, this is live radio, okay? (laughs) Uh, And I wanted to start the day. I wanted it to be the perfect broadcast. I wanted to start the day with the most encouraging, uplifting news I could possibly deliver any and every one of you in the great state of Arizona. Today will be 7 minutes and 16 seconds shorter than June 21st. <laughs> Winter is coming. <laughs> wow. And, and can you tell it's getting just a smidge darker it, in the evening? Well, just, just, by, just, just by about a minute and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's coming. Y'all have to bear, bear with the weather here. We're, uh, it, it's, it's what we do here in Arizona. You just, you just cowboy up. And I'll tell you, if I could change one thing about summer in Arizona right now, for the first summer in my life in Arizona, the very first summer ever, I have a car with black seats. And I want to tell you, that is the dumbest thing you could ever put in a car. And the vehicle I have, you could only get black seats. Now, I'd like to take that. Detroit engineer and rub his nose in that seat right about four o'clock in the afternoon, parked in the middle of the largest parking lot I could find, and say, Listen, numbskull, <laughs> take this seat burn on your face back to Detroit and give us some seats other than black. Does it have air conditioning in the seats? Yes. You know, like a little air that comes yes, it up does. back. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, you got that going for you. Yeah, when you're in the car about 40 minutes, it's finally cool enough you can feel it. <laughs> but not not ever having black interior. You know, you're doing some work at the house, and the car is parked in the front driveway, and you got to run to Ace Hardware store. So you're in your little, you know, your work shorts. You're not in long pants and stuff. Oh, Leg burn. I, I've done it about three times. I know I've left skin on the seats. It's just, <laughs> wow. So I gotta find I gotta find a way to outsmart that whole situation, but we are today seven minutes and sixteen seconds shorter than we were on June twenty second. Hallelujah, baby! So thank you for joining us this morning. I'm here as always this morning, uh, your Saturday morning tradition with my son and co-host Romy Romero, my wife, sweet Jennifer. Morning, babe. 
Good morning. And we've got a return special guest, always the hit of the show, Dr. David Dean, Assistant Professor of History at Grand Canyon University. We love bringing him in, especially around election times and holidays. Dr. Dean, thanks for coming in. Good morning. It's good to be here again. All right. So we're going to talk some some Arizona festivities uh, revolving around Independence Day. What's your What's on your agenda today? Oh, I thought we would talk a little bit about Arizona history, uh, kind of do a smattering of things. Uh, we're coming off a great uh, 4th of July. I don't know if you guys saw some fireworks or had a picnic or all those traditional ways that we celebrate uh, um, 4th of July, but I thought we'd take a little different take and talk about how Arizonans have celebrated 4th of July. You know, we didn't. The, the place we have gone for the last 40 years did not have fireworks this year. Um, so I took the time just to kind of read about the miracle of this country. I can't get into the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights without a tremendous amount of awe. Those, sure. are, those are incredible documents. Incredible documents. Men of, of trying times who saw something to the future and said, we're going to do something that's never been done before, this great uh, democratic experiment, and it seems to be working. Gosh, you come out of the feudal system of Europe and and you decide no government can ever keep an opportunity away from me. Right. And create an environment that that's available across all society. Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and that pursuit of happiness. What makes you happy? Man, living here. That's right. Living here, especially after Jennifer and I's little month-long tour of Europe. Nice place to visit. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. The Caucasus Mountains, I think, were about probably my favorite. Those, those were pretty awesome. But to live, give me the red, white, and blue. That's right. You're reminded as you travel across Europe, you're reminded of, of monarchies and power and how Joe Average guys like you and I never had it. And here we have a whole nation based on that. Oh, man. All right. So where, where do we go from there? So we didn't see fireworks. We just had a meditative amount of time just being thankful for the great country we live in. That's good. We had ribs, so. Uh, but you know, I think Jennifer, I think we actually had leftovers. That night, <laughs> we did. It was we? the first time we've ever spent Fourth of July alone. Like, what do we do? We just read and have leftovers. That that was my dad's birthday, so it was always a huge Romero party. Uh, um, most people celebrate with the traditional picnic or fireworks or some combination of maybe a parade. You'll wave the flag. Our celebrations of the Independence Day are largely based on events and things on the East Coast. So I got to thinking this past week, well, we live out in the West. We didn't have those same experiences. Our, so to speak, colonial experiences involve the Spanish and involve others. Um, And so how does the West, how does out here make our experiences more unique, more different and it got me thinking of a little bit about a kind of a question, and I ask you, do you think that the West is just a place, or is it a process? I think it could be a mindset. It's a mindset. Okay. When I say process, one historian a long time ago wrote about that the West 
was a place where we got to and we had to adapt to it. And then it adapts back to us. You know, think about the the first uh, explorers or mountain men that come out. They change their clothes from their Eastern European kind of clothes to the buckskins and whatnot. And they build a log cabin. So they change the environment and the environment changes them. That's a process. And what makes us uniquely Americans is that the West has that process. And those processes become democratic as we work together, where settlers come out and all that kind of stuff. So if I think about that the, play, that the West is not just a place that's arid and dry and it's got different kinds of things, but it's also a place of a process, then I get, it gives me a chance to think about our celebrations of our Independence Day much differently. And so I thought today we would talk about a couple of examples that are different. Yeah, you wouldn't want to show up at the Mountain Man Fur Festival in Wyoming with polished patent leather shoes, wearing uh, little knicker tights and your pilgrim hat. Well, Teddy Roosevelt did, I think, the first time he came out because he bought his, his Western outfit from a Sears and Roebuck catalog. So he was a dude, you know, when he came out. But the West changed him, one of our greatest presidents. And he claims, talks about how he came out to the West and it really built his body up, but it also built his mind up. And not only did he go back east and serve greatly as our president, but he also spent a great amount of effort preserving the West, preserving those great places of majestic wilderness that of, makes our country great. Of all the places to establish your ranch, I think the Badlands is kind of a peculiar place to pick. And then name it the Maltese Ranch. Yeah, yeah. I would have probably gone somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, that's that's um, intriguing country. But, I mean, he had been to the Grand Tetons. Why wouldn't you just homestead the base of the Grand Tetons? Exactly. <laughs> or, um, there's lots of beautiful places in Montana and Wyoming oh. and, you know. Yeah, um, nothing against other areas of our country, but uh, I just came back from Colorado and going through the Rockies, and it's like, wow, you know. It is a wow event, a wow event. All right, so what are some of the things about the West that you feel are the the different process than the East Coast? I mean, I feel different just even – I have to hit Washington, D.C. about four or five times a year. I feel different every time I land there. Like you need a shower? I don't know. I don't know. I don't <laughs> like, know. like leaving there, you have to go through some sort of a, a, a desalinization, de, something to delouse or something. Well, I, I've, I've definitely, uh, I've definitely inherited a much more casual view of life than the people I visit when I go there. Sure. Well, I think one of the things that's most unique about the West is the blending of cultures. It's a place where. Many peoples have had to come together. We've had Native peoples here. We've had Spanish here. We've got Americans here. Uh, we've got all these different influences. And so yet they're all Americans and are all celebrating the same holiday. And so two great examples that we have here in Arizona that go back to big traditions throughout our country are the rodeo and the powwow. And so uh, Arizona is the home of several really great uh, uh, events of those things, but the two most famous are the Flagstaff powwow that went from 1929 to 1979. Uh, they still do some activities up there related to that. And then the great, of course, the oldest rodeo uh, in the world in Prescott that runs. And both those run in conjunction with July 4th. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand it was a pretty good parade. Did you hear Did you hear from Donnie Romy about he, he was up in Prescott all July 4th? It was a good, good, pretty good rodeo. I guess they only had two bull riders, the entire rodeo ride out. 
You mean only two covered their eight seconds? Yeah. Not yeah. two contestants. Right. Yeah. So it must have been some rough stock this year. <laughs> All right. We're here with Dr. David Dean, Assistant Professor of History from Grand Canyon University, talking about the traditional celebrations of Independence Day across Arizona. We'll get back. Maybe he can tell us a little bit about what's an anvil launch. Back at my house, it's Rosie on the House with Dr. David Dean from Grand Canyon University, Assistant Professor of History. We're talking about Independence Day celebrations in particular. Uh, we were talking about powwows and rodeos. Powwows and rodeos. And, you know, it's interesting. Powwows are these great gatherings where Native peoples of, of different backgrounds will come together showcasing their their artistic talents, showcasing their their religious faith and a variety of different kind of things as a way of celebrating their culture. And they invite the general public to come and experience those with them. And the kind of an, as an obtuse point, if you think about the Olympics, the Olympics are showcasing simply the best of the best athletes. It dates back to Greece and their symposia where Communities would come together and showcase their best poet and their best artisans and their best athletes and things. And so people do this. This is part of human history. And so the powwow was a great tradition in that. And Flagstaff hosted one of the most prominent powwows in America for 50 years. 100,000 visitors each year wow. uh, at a Tay Day. I'm looking at the 1960 uh, program right. for the powwow. There's there's terms in here that would be uh, considered inappropriate to use today. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, some of the things as a historian, we go into the record. We we see these documents, like these programs and whatnot, and they might have words or terms that would be offenses to us today. But we can't sanitize those. We can't take them away. We just have to put them into context as historians, and 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 continue to the meaning or the the the, the underlying kind of value that we want to come out of learning about these cultures and these pasts. You know, you were, you mentioned an obtuse point, and you've got me on a, on a mental bunny trail here. Romy, speaking of Olympics, you want to tell me who decided we had to recognize the first, second, and third place synchronized swimming teams? Well, Talk about a bunny trail. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, he doesn't. He won't let us do that to him. But, Most of the bunnies are confused too right now. There's two of them outside the window going, "What, is he what trail are we on?" No, recognizing the best of the best and the powwows and the rodeos. You know, the rodeos were were originated by just cowboys getting together and putting a couple of dollars on the fence post and saying, "I bet I can ride this horse out, and you can't." And you know, you were actually tested against skills that accomplished something. <clears throat> my, my question stands. <clears throat> You're all stumped by it, uh, well, so just, we'll come back. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, <laughs> there is, should be a prize for people who can hold their breath underwater. Upside down. Upside down no. for extended periods of time, you know, and do that without falling into the eight other people around them, yeah. you know. So I guess there's a prize for that. Uh, okay, yes. let's circle them up. What, but, or let's go back. But interesting, you mentioned in the in the rodeo, it has, you know, such as uh, both a, a, an American cowboy and a Spanish cowboy because some of those early competitions in Texas and here in Arizona were against each other, roping and that kind of stuff. Uh, and so much so that the wild Bill Hickok put it in his uh, 
uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Buffalo Bill Cody put it in his uh, Wild West show, uh, the rodeo kind of thing. And, and, and again, it just helps showcase those skills of these professionals in an era of cattle ranching and that kind of stuff. And so just a great way to celebrate the West and something that you wouldn't get anywhere in Boston or in Atlanta or somewhere back east. A lot of times it was just the two ranch bosses challenging ranch to ranch. Ranch I'll, to ranch. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll bring my best ropers, you bring your best riders, and let's see which ranch has the best cowboys. And and that's where the kind of the oldest rodeo, continuous rodeo in Prescott kind of gets its starts in 1888, uh, where this professional kind of cowboy tournament kind of goes from ranch to ranch to, hey, let's, I don't want to be just best between us two ranches. I want to be the best in, amongst all the ranches. And so let's put a broader invite out. And Romy, do you, do you have it straight in your head? I don't. Both Prescott and Payson, one claims to be the oldest rodeo in the world and one can, claims to be the oldest continuous Rudy? One of them had, I think it was, I think it's Prescott, had one or two years in the 40s that there was no rodeo. So technically it's older, but then Payson is the longest continuous. Got it. Because it never had a, a break from year to year. All right. I, I always get but, confused which is which. But they're both in the 1800s, 1880s. 88 is what you said for Prescott. So for Prescott, yeah. Payson was like 89 or 90. I mean, it was just a year or two. All later. right. Very good. Well, they're both great events to attend for sure, and they do tend to fall right at the July 4th. How about some other significant things that happened in July in the history of Arizona? Well, July 7th, uh, uh, Arizona history, you know, it's the, this day in history kind of thing. Um, we can uh, talk a little bit about Warren Earp was shot in Wilcox, Arizona. Uh, the youngest brother of uh, Virgil Morgan and Wyatt Earp of the OK Corral fame. There were like uh, six brothers in that family, weren't there? Yeah, and they were all over the place and not all of them in Tombstone at the same time. And speaking of ranches, I think he was actually shot by the boss of the Sierra Bonita Ranch, Harry Hooker's foreman. Yes. was the guy that shot Warren Earp, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I guess they were fighting over a prostitute. That they were both in love with. Is that the, is that right? A girl. Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. You're only going to get this information at Rosie on Nass. Back with Dr. David Dean right after this. This day in history in the great state of Arizona. Brought to you by Dr. David Dean, Assistant Professor of History at Grand Canyon University. Good morning. So Warren Earp goes to a duel without a gun. Yeah, he was uh, – after the you know the, the investigation, they found that he didn't have any guns on him. He was unarmed when uh, Johnny Boyette shot him, the ranch hand for Hooker's – at Hooker's Ranch. And, uh, and so he uh, – Feared for his life because he thought the Earp brothers would come after, after him, but uh, they never did. Interesting. All and right. He's buried up in Wilcox, Arizona, uh, Warren Earp. Other historical events. Well, probably the biggie and closest to your dart, your heart, is a big construction project. Uh, July seventh, nineteen thirty, work began on the Hoover Dam here in Arizona, and that, of course, took a number of thir- almost thirty years to complete. Uh, they had to dig out the the tunnels to divert the water, and then they had to 
pour all that concrete and everything. And so that got started on July 7th. I didn't realize it was 30 years. Um, did, did I hear that right? Uh, to finish all the different uh, – uh, it, it took five years to build the dam, but 30 years to kind of do all the the – Site selection and to do you know to do the whole gotcha. project was a thirty year endeavor, but the uh, building of the dam itself was just five years. And pretty much the only reason Las Vegas exists, <laughs> Henderson. Uh, but yeah, um, and of course you know there's a lot of myths around it. Are there any dead bodies in the? And people fall in the concrete. Oh well, got to keep production going, right? That's modern construction, right? right? <laughs> Mob construction, right? Uh, but no, there are no dead bodies in the dam concrete that we know of. Um, yeah, did I say that right? In the dam concrete, <laughs> <laughs> but but there were a lot of deaths. There was uh, a lot of deaths. I mean, by today's standard, it's uh, unbelievable. I think it's like 100 people died building that dam. Yeah, I think officially it's 96, but uh, uh, some sites, uh, sources say as many as 112 Wow, uh, people died. Well, you know, construction in those days, and you've got flying eight yards of concrete in overhead and pouring these big blocks, and you had to do them in these different sequences and all the blasting of the stonework and to cut the channels and just the precarious roads of trucks and the fumes that inside the tunnels from the truck uh, exhaust. I mean, there was – talk about a not an OSHA work site, you know. Boy, let me tell you. The, the thing that intrigues me about a construction project like that is you go out and you survey the location. And you realize you're probably 100 miles from the closest grocery store. You literally have to build an entire city before you could even start the construction of the dam. Yeah. In fact, uh, um, you know, they've got to provide housing, food, water, all that stuff for – the 21,000 workers that ended up working on that uh, project, I mean, that's a big undertaking. It is. Well, it's a it's a big dam, that's for sure. At one time, I think it was the highest in the world, wasn't it? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it holds that now, but at one it, time Now it's it was. the second highest in the country and the 18th highest in the world. Okay. Um, but it's interesting. It's the first man-made structure that exceeded the amount of masonry that you would find in the pyramids of Giza. Now, that says something about the pyramids. That they lasted two, four centuries or so before, because uh, uh, they were about 2000 BC. So they lasted almost four centuries before something else man made rivaled it. The Hoover Dam. And I always enjoyed driving over it. And I really resent the fact that the new bridge doesn't allow you to view it. Yeah, the new bridge is off, and I mean, people like it when they're heading to Vegas or Laughlin or wherever, so they can just woohoo, you know, get to where they're going. But that was that was the whole beauty of driving to Las Vegas was to go down across the dam, well, crawl. You, do they still let you drive across no. the scenic no. route? No, 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 no. no. And and they put they put like visors on the bridge so you can't. You well, can't see out, I Which guess. I completely understand. <laughs> you do? Oh. Well, can you imagine people stopping to view the bridge or slowing down? You know, you're on an interstate going with a speed limit of probably 75, 65, 75. You know, I, I, I get keeping the traffic tunnel vision moving. And it, 
Especially with everybody on their cell phones, they got to yeah. stick the phone out the window. Exactly. You know? It's a and beautiful talk, picture of the guardrail. And, <laughs> and, talk, and talk about an incredible uh, feat of engineering, the, the new bridge. Yeah. That was really cool how they built that thing. It's, what, just one big arch span from side to side there, and then they built the deck on river on top of it, or the roadway on top of it? Well, it always impresses me the way they start on each side and build to the center. Yeah. yeah. That and, impresses and you, me. You hope it lines up, <laughs> right? I was uh, just watching a documentary about uh, some of the trains in India that worked their way up to the Himalayas, and this British officer that was in charge of the trains committed suicide because one of his tunnels ended up not lining up. They dug from each side. He figured out that they weren't they were pretty far off. And so the the shame of that engineering he committed suicide. And it just could have been a dimple in his slide rule. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, or, or something a mark on it that he had forgotten about or something. Yeah. Oh man. Well let's let's talk about the last topic you've got here to cover. The this this typically is the time of year we're appointing Judges to the Supreme Court, if there is an opening. Um, well, an opening can come up any time during the year, but this particular weekend, uh, of course, our president is is working through a list of names, nominating a uh, um, Supreme Court justice to fill a vacancy, and um, of course, there's a lot of news and stuff on that. But on this day, July seventh, nineteen eighty one. Our own Sandra Day O'Connor here from Arizona was appointed to the Supreme Court, the first woman, Republican, uh, nominated by Reagan. Uh, and she served for over 24 years on the, on the bench. And, so, and grew up as a neighbor of Harry Hooker at Sierra Bonita Ranch, whose range boss shot Warner. Now, does this all tie in? How, how do you wrap this up like that? I, you know, I, I spend hours upon hours <laughs> Not thinking about this just so that that serendipity could occur. <laughs> yeah, she was right there outside of Duncan on her family uh, ranch. Yeah, and of course, you know, she was uh, – uh, she served in the state senate for a period of time. She served as a judge here in the state and then uh, came to the attention of, uh, of the national uh, attention when she was nominated. Um, she's got a pretty conservative but moderate record on the court. Um, I don't think anybody at the backside of her career looked back and said, oh, she was the worst justice ever. And I don't think anybody walks back and says, oh, she was the best justice ever. But but she was our justice. She was our justice. And, you know, she's a phenomenal, uh, even after her retirement from the court, she's a writer, she's a speaker, she's involved in her, in her community and everything. And just what an incredible contribution that our state can make to this kind of national dialogue that goes on. Uh, right now about Supreme Court justices. Any other justices from Arizona we can claim? Uh, not that I'm aware of. We are There are some controversial judges, of course. Uh, uh, Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American justice. Uh, William McKinley, the uh, or is it Taft? McKinley, I think it was, that was a president that then became a Supreme Court justice. You have terrible Supreme Court justices like uh, Roger Taney, who uh, decided the Dred Scott case. Uh, so John Jay, who uh, um, decided kind of early, wrote early Supreme Court kind of precedents kind of things. And uh, Brandeis, who was probably one of the most uh, progressive, some would say liberal, but uh, certainly changed the flavor of the court. You've got the Warren Court during the Kennedy administration. Um, and so 
I mean, the Supreme Court is such an important institution. Hamilton got it wrong. Alexander Hamilton said, oh, yeah, the courts, the least uh, <laughs> effect to our democracy. He got it wrong. They have a big importance to our democracy. But should he have it right? Uh, well, it's important to protect the laws that are passed by our legislators. And so that's that role of the court to do that, to protect, not to legislate, but to protect that role of these are the laws. Is there an argument that the Supreme Court has become a writer or creator of laws? Well, that is certainly a very loaded question. I think some would answer yes and some would answer no, but I kind of think it comes down on what side of an, a particular case or opinion you're on uh, to that to that effect. But um, overall, I would think that that some of that about legislating from the bench at the Supreme Court level is a bit more hype and smoke and mirrors. It might happen at the lower courts, but at the at the Supreme Court, I think it's a little bit more hype in, uh, than it, we get credit, you know, than we should give due credit for. One of the very earliest biographies I ever read that wasn't a homework assignment, and I don't even remember why I picked this biography, but it was Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, an interesting life, for sure, but I'll never forget how he opened his autobiography. The, the, the study of the law is about as interesting as a cold bowl of oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> That's by a Supreme Court justice. And you're appointed for life to study a cold bowl of oatmeal. I don't know. I think it's a lot more interesting than that. Well, I think so, too. Uh, um, and and I, I, what I find when I read court cases, Supreme Court uh, cases and things is to read kind of the, the the opinions on both sides, the dissenting opinion and whatnot, because you'll often find the clauses of interpretation or the real meaning in those writings. And and any good study goes beyond just the 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 ten words that summarize a case. Uh, and I think that Americans should pay attention to important cases and be able to rattle off ten important. Cases like Roe v. Wade and Dred Scott and Marbury versus Madison and things. That those are cases that Americans should know because it, it, it tells us a lot about who we are as a country. It really codified some pretty critical segments in our society. And they're very reflective of culturally where we are at each of those points. Very. Some of those decisions would go down very different if they were addressed today. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely yes. <laughs> but that's the that's why the, the 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 controversy of picking a Supreme Court justice under one administration that's going to have that ability to shape things for a very long time has to be a very thoughtful thoughtful process. We're at a pretty critical time right now. Yeah, and uh, um, with. Filling the two vacancies that are really there now, you know, under the Roosevelt administration, they had expanded the the court to 15 members. It could have up to 15 members. Uh, and so uh, can you imagine what a court case and a set of opinions and things would look like if we had 15 justices on the bench? I did not know that. I yeah. never knew that. Yeah. Who who retracted it back? Well, it's not retracted. Oh. It just it's set that it could be up to fifteen justices, but tradition holds it at what nine or so right now. Oh, 
We're here with Dr. David Dean talking about uh, really pretty much about Independence Day celebration in about around the state of Arizona and the fact that uh, Sandra Day O'Connor was appointed this July 7th. That was, that was Reagan, right? Reagan did that, 1981. Mm-hmm. 1981. And she was the first, first woman. First woman, mm-hmm. Okay. And now there's a new movie out uh, about uh, Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg that uh, is getting a lot of critical acclaim. And so if you're interested in, uh, again, maybe seeing a kind of different side of the court and understanding kind of uh, what uh, some of the thought processes in there, maybe go catch that movie. I've had that movie on my bucket list since it came out. I can't find it. Maybe we'll have to talk about that when we get back. We'll be right back, y'all. Hang on. It's really kind of been nice. Traffic all week has kind of been at holiday level. Like half the people took the first half of the week off, and the other half of the people took the second half of the week off. So we're wrapping up Independence Day week, literally, with Dr. David Dean, Assistant Professor of History from Grand Canyon University, talking in particular about this day in history in the great state of Arizona, as well as the history of rodeos and powwows and other Various important things like appointment of Supreme Court justices. And yeah, there's he, a kind of a lot going on for being the summer doldrums. We have quite a lot going on, especially politically. You know, uh, it seems like there's every day you turn on the news and somebody else is being investigated, and there's another committee for that, and there's a another law that needs to be passed, and they just turned in petitions to be on the ballots because this is a an election year. It's It's just crazy all the stuff going on. And so as I was doing a little bit of research, I found this quote. I thought this was kind of interesting. This is an election year. So the politicians are industrially dragging each other's skeletons out of the closet and debauching each other with all the mud in sight, all the very laudable purpose of making the dear people believe the other side is closely allied with the devil and bent on sending the country to the eternal bow-wows. The United States Senate has so many investigating committees at work and is so busily engaged as prosecutor, judge, and jury in so many cases that it begins to appear the honorable body will have very little time to accomplish anything in the way of legislation. And that was written. I agree. And that was written in March 1924. By who? Uh, Just came out about an article about political scandal. And so I think it just goes to show that, uh, you know, people like to say history repeats itself. I don't like to do that. But there are connections, connections between Warren Earp and the, and the, uh, and the Bonita Ranch and Sandra Day O'Connor and today and 1981 and Hoover Dam, a, a big government project, and all these things come together. We have to remember that in the West, it's both a place and a process. And that process is how we continue to make that connection between where we are and how it affects us and things. And that line of demarcation is? The west, this side of the Mississippi. We just take the river. Let the river be the separation? Yeah. Well, unless you're in New York, because if you're in New York, then they think everybody in Chicago is out west. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Dr. Dean, we appreciate you coming in and joining us and enlightening, enlightening us on all these Interesting aspects of history. What are your What are your upcoming calendar of events? Um, mostly just continuing to work on my uh, non Ford car, um, and then, <laughs> um, and then uh, we're going to have a non staycation. We're going to go to Florida for a week with some friends. Uh, my parents just celebrated their sixty third wedding anniversary um, last Congratulations week. Congratulations to them! And so uh, yeah, and so um, just kind of just. 
hanging out, finishing the summer off strong. School. Are you driving that non-Ford car to Florida? Or are you oh, flying? No. Oh, no. Right. We're flying. Okay. Yeah. yeah, We're just trying to. It's a non-Ford, honey. Okay. Maybe it wouldn't make it. It wouldn't make it past the Mississippi. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Hey. <laughs> it's a 53-year-old car. It's not going to make it out of the town. <laughs> That's your little pet Corvair, huh? That's right. That's yeah. right. And uh, when school start? Uh, we we report back on the 13th class to start, I think, around August 28th. And then we have Labor Day weekend right after that. Kids and go to school for two days and go, hey, three-day weekend. So thanks a million for coming in. Thanks for having me. All right. Get to rosieonthehouse.com and register for a staycation. We draw July 15th for where, babe? They will be going to Heber. Yeah, to Bison Ranch Resort. Beautiful area. Get up out of the heat. Enjoy the... Just nice places to hike around there and little lakes to fish in and nice little towns to eat in. They'll be, and they have a nice little basket from Sibley's West waiting in their car when they go. Jennifer and I just returned from the White Mountains, and I, we actually circumnavigated a particular lake, which will remain unnamed. And I've got to call Fishing Game and get the story on that lake. There were the biggest trout I've ever seen in Arizona, and there wasn't one person with a line in the water. There wasn't one person fishing this lake, and well, they, they were the biggest you could trout. could have texted me. Well, the, the reason he knew they were biggest is because they were dead I'd floating. Yes. <laughs> Big trout. Wait, wait, wait. Back up. Dead or alive? Dead. They're, the ones I saw were dead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the dogs would jump in and pull them to the shore and leave them there. It was really mm-hmm. funny. Don't tease me. That was like that. that time at Saguaro Lake, that gold algae or something yeah. hit. And you got to the lake and it just it was I gotta call fishing game and fish get the story over. Eight o'clock hour, what do you got coming in, bud? First Saturday of the month, so farm fresh and it's melon harvest right now. So we're gonna be talking about watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew, and the produce that uh the, the that's a big part of the Arizona agricultural wheel. So we'll talk about the benefits. We've got a cooking recipe that uh, Jan Diotri's brought in. Julie Murphy from the Farm Bureau's brought Russo Family uh, Farming Company in. So we'll be right. talking melons. Very good. Nine o'clock will be open hour. Ten o'clock, we're on the topic that is very close to your heart right now air conditioning. We actually are bringing in an engineer expert from Train Air Conditioning talking about what their equipment is doing to improve the quality of your life here in the great state of Arizona. So we are packed. The rest of the three hours, don't go anywhere. Just relax, fill up that big old glass of iced tea, and sit back.